Welcome to the Superstruct Show, the podcast for founders who depend on devs to get things done. I'm your host, David Gutman, and today I'm joined by Alex Henry. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, David. All right. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, want to share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Alex, Alex Henry. Um, I am the CEO of a company called Blue Vishnu. And our mission is to unlock human potential with a human avatar platform. Um, the thesis of that is actually pretty simple. Most of us know what behaviors are good for us and bad for us, but doing what's good for you can be really hard, uh, like saving for retirement or quitting smoking, <laughs> adherence to a prescription, et cetera. And it, it's really hard because it's, it's really impossible to visualize long-term consequences of your lifestyle habits. So making meaningful change really requires abstract thinking or tricky life hacks. And so we, we all know what's good for us and what's bad for us, but adherence is poor and the lasting change is, is really tricky. But, um, but what we're interested in doing is creating tools to visualize your future self. So we really believe that avatars can be extremely useful in, in visualizing your future self and and uh, and allowing you to take control of your future and building a roadmap for that future and maintaining that and course correcting and shifting behavior so this is um this is basically what i've dedicated my life to to working on love it so so i am curious uh, related to what you just said what kinds of things have you needed to build for that oh oh the building part that's the fun part so there's there's a lot that needs to be built. I mean, we're talking about a, uh, an avatar platform, but there's there's a there's some things that we need for that. For example, we need uh, a bunch of avatars, uh, and not just avatars, but avatars that are made from really high resolution scans of the human body. So one of the things that we needed to build for that is a 3D scanner, and uh, and we did that. But not only uh, not only do we need to build a 3D scanner, but a system for building 3D scanners at uh, at scale. So mm -hmm. those were some of the first challenges that we've we've uh, started to tackle, um, and we're 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 in a really good shape with uh, with building out the the 3D scanners and the hardware and the software um, for that. And that's 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 an area that we we have a uh, quite a bit of expertise in. Yeah, and and. I mean, how has that how has that been going? I mean, has there been any challenges there or well, it's it's really easy. I think my philosophy is make sure you write perfect code the first time around and you have <laughs> bugs, you have nothing to <laughs> fix, and you just sit around getting bored all day. All right. You've all heard it here. That's all you need to do. End podcast. <laughs> uh, no, there's there's been, it's been a road. Um, so I should say we started, we started down this path with a different, uh, different CTO um, at a time where I was pretty, I was, uh, you know, I'm not a coder. Uh, I do, I do code. I, or, uh, or at least I, I know enough to, to, you know, do some damage uh, or break things, but mm -hmm. um but more to the point, I, I know enough to have an appreciation for what goes into it and the, the process now. But when I started out, I'm more of a like get it done at all costs kind of, not, not all costs, get it done no matter what the obstacles, I should mm -hmm. say. So when learning to code a little bit became an obstacle, then I 
I taught my uh, I taught myself and and uh, and my current CTO uh, Dave Taylor um, was our advisor for a number of years and and uh, is just such a patient uh, uh, and natural teacher. Like he mm. always, if you ask him for a fish, he will always teach you how. Um. So I I think you know the. The, the first pass, I didn't really know what I was doing um, in terms of building a product that used code. And mm -hmm. I really relied on uh, a CTO who, who you know, would know what they're doing and kind of trying to translate this to, uh, to, to my, you know, plebeian brain, I should say. And was this a CTO that uh, you started this with, or did you find the CTO when you realized you needed I, one, or how did that I work? I founded the CTO, uh, or I found the CTO, uh, and and he's—I should say—he's still, even though it didn't work out, uh, it wasn't the right fit. He's still a friend. Um, mm -hmm. So, but the process of that was, um, I think, one of the reasons why it didn't work was. My background is in production, so product specifically production for filmmaking, photography. I have started out uh, in 2001. I started a, a photo business that um, became pretty successful, uh, and I had a successful career as a commercial celebrity portrait photographer. Um, so I really know production, and the one of the things that's important about production this is an adage that I, I learned early on was you expect the best, but plan for the worst. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the methods that we use to code up and create this, the systems were never going to last in this first in, in iteration. And, uh, and I, I started to see some of the cracks in that, um when i when i when we were doing things that were more in my area of knowledge as a mm -hmm. little more productiony and so i got a sense of the methods were a little a little a little scrappier than i would like for something that was going to be in production mm. um and so uh so cut to a year or so later um, we're no longer working together, and I'm I'm at a point where I kind of need to start from scratch. Um, oh, interesting! It was that it was that 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 many cracks. Yeah, I think so. I mentioned that current CTO advisor at the time, uh, and you know, I just I I kind of gave a little mea culpa and and said like, you know, I. I should I learn how to code? Should I try to do this first pass myself? Um, uh, you know, we we had a lot of processes. We had a lot of great hardware. Um, I I built the hardware. I'm not a great hardware designer, but I did I did implement a lot of the the production uh, methods and ethos and into it. I knew that you know from a from years of being a celebrity portrait photographer, you get just a few minutes with talent mm, right, you right. get even more so even less uh, time to gain their trust mm. so shit's got to work and, <laughs> and yeah and you don't also, want them waiting around while you're debugging 
also has to have the illusion of working too. And those mm. are those are uh, those are not always the same things. Mm. That's a good point. So, uh, so I really had uh, had this mea culpa. Talked to uh, you know we we weren't we weren't going to tear we weren't going to burn the whole thing down. But when it came to the software side, uh, it really it really seemed like we we had to. And uh, instead of just taking Dave's word for it, I asked him to walk me through a lot of it. And uh, and we basically you know to his credit we we figured out what it would take to basically take on this this uh, um, legacy code and support it. And it became clear that it was we were basically going to inherit inherit a enormous amount of debt. I'm sure a lot of this is familiar to you. It's a familiar story, but it was an opportunity to say, okay, how much have we already built actually? And how long would it take to rebuild this? And um, and if we don't, well, we're just going to be saddled with this albatross of debt for the entire life cycle of the company, or until we until we burn it down again and create something from scratch. And it just felt like the right time to do that. And I'm I'm so glad we did because uh, because we we built it um, the first time around. It was really built in a scrappy way. It could never it could never last. It could never scale. And now we've built it much more on bedrock, much more in a way that could be scaled, um, abstracted layers that should be abstracted in so much as we could with a small team. And, but at least, at least we really, really put, put that thought in at the very beginning and, uh, and move forward eyes wide open with a new, uh, new set of code and new paradigm and basically Re rebuilt everything from scratch. And it did allow us to design some hardware uh, um, over again, um, but effectively using the the first version as a prototype. Hmm. So I would say, even though we did start from scratch, we uh, we came to it with all of the lessons we learned and we came to it with uh, with you know new new knowledge. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. I think uh, a lot of our listeners uh, have to have to grapple with whether or not it makes sense to do a full rewrite or to continue with legacy code. I think also a lot of founders will have, you know, suspicions that their code base is not going to scale or is not as solid or or well engineered as they would like, and I think I think it's really interesting that that you made the decision to do a rewrite and that was the right decision um and and I think some sometimes it's not and what yeah how did you were you nervous that that maybe this was not the right move like what 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 went into your mind when you were making that decision I wasn't nervous then but Man, I got to tell you, whenever, uh, like, when we ever, ever we do a meeting and and the word refactor comes up, I'm, like, <laughs> it's just so. There's a temptation to like, so it's so you. I mean, it's really hard to tell the difference, right? There's always a temptation because you learn so much from doing the thing that before you ship the thing, if you could just re redo it, it would be so much better. 
uh, so you, so there's this temptation to refactor or temptation to start from scratch. Um, and I, I, I've seen it in a lot of, I've seen it in a lot of the devs that I've worked work with. I think I, I, I've haven't mastered this balance, but what I like, uh, when, when we made this decision to refactor, to, to burn it all down and start from scratch, that was clearly the right call. We did a cost benefit and, and, you know, it just, there's just no way we could have scaled. It was one of those things that, that success would have brought our demise. And mm. if, if you do the math or do the, you know, if you do the calculus and that is the, you know, success will do you in, then obviously you need to refactor something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was clear. That was very clear, but it's not so clear um, in smaller, in smaller areas, like we, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we do have a small team. So there's a lot of things that we, we have to pick and choose what we work on and, uh, and try to do things that are going to be not only additive, but not, but reusable and recyclable. And we try to be smart about that. And then at the same time, we have to, we want to have room to scale in a way where we're meeting the market where it needs to be. And we just don't have, I have a, I have a clear vision of where I see this going, but the specifics, how we get there, they're, those are going to change. Uh, and they're not, I, I don't have a crystal ball into exactly how those, how, like how we're going to need to, you know, we, we're just, we're doing our best, right? Right. And you so know, a crystal ball would be really handy though. A crystal ball would be great. <laughs> Take all the fun out of it though, right? <laughs> <laughs> or the excitement. Anyway, I would try it anyway. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, I think the, and I, I kind of want to throw this back to you a little bit, but, mm -hmm. but you know, the, what we have now is, like healthy, healthy friction where I know, like, I know the, I know the devs are going to want to refactor something or they're going to, they, they might be tempted to refactor something that doesn't necessarily need to be refactored. Um, and I'm just going to put up some friction and make sure that the case is is argued properly. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I I have a lot of trust in my team, and I need to make sure that uh, you know that if if they're lobbying for something major like a refactor or even a minor refactor, that that there's a little bit of like they're they're going to need to defend that. Yeah, so I I can talk about this a little bit. The the way that I think about it is that the refactor let's let's just say they just really want some time to refactor something so so what the devs are doing is they're they're pushing back they're saying look i know you want these features but what we would really like is to pause new development and just carve out some time and some space for us to refactor what exists so that uh we reduce technical debt and we just make the code base cleaner more stable something 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 like that's that's usually how I see those arguments presented. 
Um, sometimes it would be something like a particular change. Like it might be something along the lines of, uh, hey, we've been doing, you know, this this core part of our system is really inefficient. We wrote it in like a very hacky, naive way. But if we redo it in, you know, a completely different way, uh, then it's going to be much less complex and everything will be better. Um, the, the, the way that I like to think about that is, okay, like I understand the cost that you are proposing and you are asking me to pay, which is, you know, a delay in features, which longer time to market, you are, you know, there's time value to if we can't land a particular customer or customers, you know, in month one, but we're doing it in month eight, that's, you know, seven or eight months of uh, revenue that you'll never be able to, to get things like that. So mm -hmm. there is, there is this cost um, that, that you are being asked to, to have. And so it's really important to get an idea of what that, that benefit is in concrete terms. And so what I am really uh, what's really important to me is knowing like, okay, so this, this part is really hacky. It's really inefficient. Like what has this led to? Like what problems have we actually experienced from this? Because I haven't had a customer say, Hey, you know, we'd love to use your, your product, but you know, your core system is really complex. Like the customer is really never going to know. So it has to be tied to uh, a complaint about, like your system is slow, like users are complaining how long it takes, you know, something to happen. And if the engineer can say, yeah, those complaints that you'd be getting about how slow it is, that's because of this. And if we fix this, those complaints will go away or something along the lines of, hey, you know how we had like three bugs last week that caused downtime and everyone was upset about that. Well, that had to do with this. We were working on that system and there weren't any tests written and it's really hard to test. And so when we push those changes live, that's why we got those bugs and those downtime. Yeah. Um, or sure. something along the lines of like, you know how you're complaining about how long it takes us to, to ship features. Well, anytime we have to touch this code base, it's extra, extra long because there's really no good way of doing it without checking all these different things for you know things that could go wrong or, or whatever it is. And so if you get one of those answers, you can then make the cost benefit, you know, analysis. You you can you can decide if that is a good trade-off. But the the next important thing to do is to take whatever that answer is. So let's say they say it's it's site speed or something like that. Like so performance. And they say, yeah, yeah, well, you know, if we do this refactor, then the site is going to be much faster. Um, the next question is, okay, well, what are the other alternative approaches that would solve that same problem, um, you know, without doing a refactor and really pushing the devs to, to at least come up with some other approaches, even if they're not ideal, you may still find that refactoring is the best approach, either in terms of cost or, or time or money or something like that. Um, but having those alternatives to choose from or against is really important. So there's kind of two levels of the choice that you always want to make sure that you have, which is, okay, well, what are the real costs that we are incurring? Uh, and are those worth addressing or not? 
And then, okay, we do accept that this is causing real problems that we want to solve. What are the different ways that we can solve those problems outside of the refactor that all you devs want to do? Yeah, those are really good arguments uh, for, I mean, you're, you know, those are more clear arguments for like uh, reducing technical debt or uh, making it easier to, to ship new features where, um, and and I don't really see this much anymore, but uh, where it can be like a, a new language or a new, uh, you know, a new, a new flavor of the month. Um, new shiny toy. New shiny toy. Yeah. Those things, uh, everyone can be, uh, everyone can be like smitten with uh, the, the new, um, the new crush. And so I've I've kind of I I really try to keep a a bit of a sniffer out for that because we're all susceptible to that. Meaning you uh you are you are trying to detect if that is behind the proposal for for a change is just whether or not it's Correct. like a new yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and like and the it's not that the uh it's not that the intention isn't isn't just as noble it's just uh you know all of the 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 grass is always greener with a new uh, a new toy and oh yeah i mean i think part of it is 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 being human where look we're all easy to fool and and fooling ourselves is the easiest and so i think for for a dev they're they don't know and they are certainly not thinking about it like they're trying to like pull one over on you um, they are just backward rationalizing something that they want to do. And so, so often they're just not realizing that, that that's what's going on. And so we just humans in general do need to guard against this. Uh, founders need to do it, um, as well, like really, really understanding why you want to do something and asking the right questions that can sort of separate, you know, the fact from the story. And uh, yeah, devs, it, it's totally not unique to devs, but but if you do ask the right questions and it's good that you, you do like try and sniff that out, um, you can often make them realize it and they can withdraw wanting to, to do the new shiny toy. Yeah, that's why that pushed back dialogue is is uh, so useful because that, mm-hmm. when you're when you're pushing back and you're getting the, getting the arguments, you you're able to tell, uh, you're able to tell, sniff out whether or not there's there's some influence of of a new new shiny toy in there. Um, mm-hmm. I also, and, I you know, I I, I think about it. <laughs> I, I guess I don't. I don't like saying this metaphor because it, it makes it feel much more adversarial. Um, but I I do think of it as as important to 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 do it more like judo, where you're like using their force and their ability like against themselves, right? So they're always going to know. I mean, look, they should not be working for you as developers if they are not like infinitely more technically like capable than you are and therefore it's important for them to to do the technical analysis to know if that really is the best approach or if there's another better approach and so that's 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 why you 
I think it's good to challenge them to come up with technical reasons on both sides so that sure. they can come to decision on their own. Um, but if you are in the, yeah, if you find that you are in the position where you are like arguing against them, that's never a good position to to be in. You want, you want them to be arguing against them to come up with the, the best uh, solution or approach for, for the business. Yeah. And I, I imagine this is a very small team, so it works both ways and they'll, they'll, they'll do the same thing and challenge that for a, a feature where um, where I I believe that a feature is necessary, uh, but they'll they'll also do the same kind of uh, the same kind of challenge to uh, to 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 that on on my end just to and I think that's for for us at least for this small team that we have that's a very healthy healthy uh, dynamic. That's interesting. So have you have you come to them with a feature where they've used the judo on you and you've realized that that wasn't the the best um, thing to spend time on? It's never wavered my belief that a feature is necessary, but I I have found that it may not be necessary in the order that I thought it would be. Mm. So mm -hmm. it might have deprioritized things. And there's, when you're small, there's only so many things you can work on at the same time. So I've, I've, there are, there are some features that I've let go of uh, being such a perfectionist about because uh, like on the, on the front end um, in our, so our, our system is, hardware, software, uh, the whole capture side of things is pretty solid. And, um, you know, we've, we've got a 3D scanner, which is made up out of a number of cameras. And we've, over the years, uh, it's been very difficult to go from a bunch of cameras to a bunch of photographs or a bunch of images on a single, uh, on a single directory. And then to take that further, processing those images and getting a 3D scan out of that. And so there's there's a lot of little steps. It's not rocket science, but there's a lot of little things to go wrong. And just so just so our listeners can visualize a little bit about what this this is, like how many how many cameras are you using now in your your larger rigs? So this is actually a big difference between what we had back in uh, when we refactored when we started from scratch. I would say post 2017. And now uh, the last scanner that was built around 2017, 2018 was when we kind of stopped moving, started moving away from it, was a scanner with a fixed number of cameras. We had 130 cameras that were all soldered in place and it was designed to be a scanner that did, it was portable, but- And was it, that also like a sphere? Yeah, so picture yeah. A, a cage full of cameras around a circle and the mm -hmm. subject steps in and all the cameras go off. Um, so you have a number of uh, photographs taken of the same subject from different positions and- 130 different angles. 130 different angles, uh, yeah. Um, some, some details on different body parts to get better resolution of those body parts, but, but those uh, we can, we reconstruct uh, reconstruct 3D from those images using a process called photogrammetry. 
And so the, the predecessor to this system was a scanner. And if we needed to move cameras, uh, it's breakout, you know, it's, it's like boil the pot of coffee, don't make plans, break out a solder <laughs> multiple days. And so okay. I think, I think, I think people understand now, like what was not scalable about this. So, okay. Well, so that, then... you know, that, that, uh, that in itself is scalable. If you know, if you know the camera's position and they're not going to change, mm. that's not, that's not unscalable. Okay. What wasn't scalable is we weren't going to know the camera positions for a long time. Uh, the, the, we have multiple different configurations that are good for very specific reasons. And so the idea that there's one system to rule them all was, was folly and rebuilding, like restarting this uh, system from the ground up allowed us to really lean into that. And we designed, designed that um, as that was one of our design goals is to make sure that we could reconfigure the camera system. And so just to answer your question, how many cameras, uh, we don't have a specific set of cameras in a, in a rig. We instead have built a very, very flexible set of Legos. So each camera is attached to a Raspberry Pi and our, our own custom daughter board. Um, and it's all grouped together with some other parts to create a camera node. And that camera node quickly attaches to the structure um, so you can have as many camera nodes attached to the structure as you want. And the structure is also Lego. So you can, we, I designed the structure, redesigned the structure from the scratch, going from 80-20 to custom extrusion and custom hardware hmm. that allows you to create any shaped uh, uh, structure that you want. So right now we can imagine an array and then create it in just a few hours based on parts that are just on our shelves. And the software supports this. So it's uh, it's a massive difference. I think that's, I think that's, I don't even remember where the point was where I started this, but I think that's <laughs> one of the points that I want to make is that in that, re, in that, re, uh, like out of the ashes, the 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 phoenix ashes we were able to just refocus our design based on what or our design goals based on where we we thought hmm. based on where i thought i needed to be and that was all informed over the previous several years of of working mm -hmm. making mistakes yeah i i, I think yeah, it, 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 going back, I guess, to the beginning about when to when to do a full rewrite, I, I think there is I think there is something to doing an MVP. I don't know if you would actually have called your your initial version an MVP, but I do think that there is value to doing an MVP that you just know that you're going to throw out, that it is an experimentation, it is learning, that you are using it to kind of test the market, figure out which features are necessary, how things are used, and just racking up as much technical debt as you need to, to get that going as fast as possible. But then having the fortitude to not let that tempt you into just like building on that, that foundation. I do think there is that there is something to that. Um, I just, 
I think I, I just worry that sometimes that's not what's going on and that there are a lot of, I guess there's a lot of learnings. There's a lot of edge cases. There's, there's a lot of things in a system that is already making money and already servicing customers and trying to recreate all of that in a second system, but better. Um, I see that fail a lot. And so I don't, I don't know. Like it's, I think, I think one of the things that's hardest for me is that I do know that it is appropriate in some cases and you obviously have one, like you are so much happier now with your written from scratch system than I think you would have been, um, you know, in an alternate universe. So it's, well, it, there was no, there was no choice. I mean, if we, mm-hmm. if I was foolish enough to think that, that, uh, we could move forward with the alternate system, we wouldn't have gotten very far. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, uh, switching, switching gears a little bit, I, have there been on the, like the people and process side, like, have there been any specific like tools or methodologies that you have adopted over, over time that you have noticed benefits or, or not benefits? And then you've changed your mind and, and removed it. Like, how do you, yeah. How do you see the, the people and collaboration side? So this is kind of where I started where we're, we're small enough to be scrappy, but we're, we're expanding and we're doing in a way that uh, is, it's a little fast and we're going to need to add process where there, where we could get away without having it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have been, uh, I would describe our process as up until, you know, relatively recently, our process is meet every day on daily standups. Uh, which I think you and your book, uh, <laughs> most important thing for building a successful company is constant meetings <laughs> every day. <laughs> so this, is, this is one area where, uh, where it's not that I disagree with you uh, in your book, but I, uh, my experience, uh, my experience disagrees, but only, you know, big old asterisks only because we're, we're so small that it actually does work for us. Um, sure. I, I know you're referring to my distaste for, for standups and, and obviously I can chime in a little bit about that, but, but for right now, I'm just interested in, in so what is working for you. Process is these standups and so, everybody. So, you know, for, for, for a lot of the building of this, it's the small, the small dev team, just focusing on the standups. I have, I have separate, um, I have a separate team. I mean, we all, work together, but I have a separate team for the production side, um, you know, folks, folks that come to the studio every day, the, the, the dev team is all remote. Um, so the, the process, so the process of building this was really, uh, everyone's responsible for, for maintaining their own task list and mm-hmm. in, in however method it, it uh, it works for them, and we just meet often every day at the same time, and it had two purposes. It it was a it was a bit of a bonding exercise because we enjoyed spending time with each other. So we you know the the the, the first 
10 minutes of the standup is I know I know that that sentence should never be uttered the first what the first 10 minutes of the standup no 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 look (laughs) it is what is important here is for you to explain to other founders what is working for you it is is. and if anybody wants to know my thoughts on it uh I have a chapter in my book about it but that's not that's really not the important part right here right here is what is working for you it it is work it is and was working uh with a very small team uh where we met every day meet every day and uh and the you know that's kind of so it's not really a stand up it's really a daily meeting and it's a we we try to start with just very quick updates and then kind of get lost in the weeds and a lot of the you know what this does for us is uh this is this is kind of both a resyncing and uh like we meet in the cafe or like meet in the bathroom and uh uh and and kind of like bring up things that we wouldn't normally talk about in uh in in our our chat right so you're saying that it like the analog would be all of that benefit that you would get from or a lot of the benefit that you'd get from working in the same office when you bump into each other and you you know you're just talking about what you want to do and and what needs to get done and things that happen Mm -hmm. you are you are getting that benefit in these meetings Yes. Yeah. Now I will say, uh, as the standups growing in in uh, attendance, it is. <laughs> you really but, do not need to be sheepish. <laughs> no, no. I just, I'm, I mean, like, so, so we've got. I think we've gotten away with murder by not having having this like formalized process, and nobody's using Jira. Uh, oh and- God. Well, I also do not like Jira, but continue well but you know here's what here's here's where it actually doesn't serve us and this this will be obvious is often uh, often we'll talk about something and there will be action items that come out of the conversation but they don't get actuated um so that's i i do have a bit of a uh distaste for talking about something talking about doing something without executing on it and for the most part the the most important the important things uh get done but it's really not a process and so Mm -hmm. so as we expand this is one of the things that i welcome with process is is having accountability for little details because there'll be there'll be little things that just we talk about and then we just have to have a new conversation about it uh and it can get a little frustrating, but no, no system is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that if you are accruing more benefit from the, I guess, spontaneity or, um, I don't know, say more, more, not that it is chaotic, but if you are, if you're accruing value from the more, um, chaotic, uh, yeah, not thinking of the right word, but if that's working for you more than you are losing out to the unpredictability and things falling through the cracks and and whatever, it was, that's a good trade off. It was working for the most part, and there, yeah. and we just didn't have the overhead. 
You know, we didn't right. have people, right? Everyone managed their own list. Um, and uh, and then we we just met every day and talked about it. And if we needed to go deeper into it, then that's what the the, the Zulip is for. Uh, <laughs> Zulip, by the way, is our uh, a, a Fosse Slack clone, um, which is what we use to to chat with internally. And how do you, um, I guess, how do features and product requirements work? Is that also in one of these meetings or how does that, how does that go to the, the devs or are the devs doing the product themselves? How does that work? Yeah, so we now need to formalize that part of it uh, because our, our customer facing product is starting to um we're we're really growing with that now um so we're we're going to need to formalize or we have already begun formalizing i should say some of the processes for create for creating that and that's you know again one of the one of the advantages of being scrappy is that you can be nimble mm -hmm. um, but one of the disadvantages is that it's really hard to plan a complex uh uh, project and, and executed in a timely fashion. So, um, so we are going to exchange that some of the some of the being nimble for that bit of organization. And that's mm. the process that we're about to um, really get into. So, uh, and is that is that in the form of hiring a product manager or? project manager or something or is it just a different yeah we actually just started with one who's uh so far amazing oh awesome so uh, okay. she's uh implementing a lot of those and we're, we're we have a pro we have a project with a deadline so there's a little bit of a crash course in there there but we're this is one of those things that you know we're going to do our best uh our best attempt at it but um uh, probably probably have to refactor our process a little bit uh, once once we once we learn from learn from that love it well i am uh curious to hear how that goes alex this has been great where can people find out more about you online blue vishnu blue like the color vishnu like the god dot io we are um we are really folk. Uh, so we're one of our superpowers is being able to process these uh, scans very, very quickly. And so we've been doing a lot of events and showing up at events. So a lot of the bluevishnu.io right now is focused on that, but you can find out lots of information there. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, and as always, it's a pleasure talking to you and I always learn a little something. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for The Superstruck Show. <laughs>